0: Hello and welcome to the 34th British Football Coaches Network episode of the Developing Your Football World podcast. Matt Ward here and James McAloon is here with me, still from Vietnam. James, how are you doing, mate? And uh, yeah, OK, how are you doing first?
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm doing well, Matt. Thank you. Uh, yeah, good day today uh, Out on the field. Uh, good practice session back in the house doing, doing some admin now. And uh, always a pleasure to speak to you, Matt, and our wonderful guests.
0: A bit of admin, so I was quickly going to go in with another question here. Have you, have you done yoga? Have you partaken in any yoga before?
1: I, I have partaken in yoga before. Uh, I cannot say that I am particularly flexible, probably <laughs> due to my lack of attention to it uh, throughout the years. Uh, but I, you know, I've tried. I, I, I do enjoy it to, to a degree, but it's not something that I would stays on my top list of things to seek out to do on my day off.
0: I'm with you. Ben, mate. It really hurts. It's really hard. It's been a year since I last did it. I did it this morning, then I went into a boxing session and now I'm not walking very well. So just wanted to see if you <laughs> know how I'm feeling right now. Maybe you do. Maybe you're more flexible than I am. So nope. on, to the, on to the more important part. Today, James and I are joined by current first team assistant coach and head of performance at Bangkok SC in Thailand. It's a great pleasure to introduce Richard Horlock to the show. Richard, welcome to the pod, mate. Great to have you on with us. How are you doing and what you've been up to lately?
2: Uh, hi. Uh, firstly, you know, thanks for thanks for inviting me on. And it's a real pleasure to speak to you guys and um, use this time off uh, well. So uh, I'm actually in between... Uh, Legs. So we obviously first part of the season got the first leg and, and the second leg. So we've got sort of five, six days off now, where players can uh, can relax and, and forget about football, hopefully for a few days. Um, but then we're straight back into it. I think on Saturday, Sunday, um, and we prepare for that second leg. So um, yeah, been been an okay start so far, and um, i are looking forward to the the second leg, especially after this. Uh, crazy period you know we've all had um off the pitch so all good
0: oh awesome so on this few days off or or mini break is it literally a total break or obviously as coaches you're never on a real break but player wise and your interaction with them are you just drip feeding them little parts still or is it you know just giving them a a little bit of a, a break everywhere
2: yeah i mean obviously um at this point as well transfers are now possible. There's a small window. Um, so that sort of activity is going on in terms of um, if there needs to be a change or if there's anybody available. So so that, I suppose, off the pitch is going on with, with the staff and the directors and the owners. Um, apart from that, obviously injured players, you know, they're being kept an eye on and anything they need to do. We've got one or two who sort of just coming back. So they should be ready to go for the, for the next leg. Um, we've had such an intense competition this year. Um, there was a bit of a change to the league where they regionalised it and we've actually had 15 games in less than two months. <laughs> um, and, you know, there's been game, two days, game, two yep. days at times. So we actually do want that mental, uh, that mental break for these sort of three to five days, because um, then we're straight back into it again. And it was... It just felt like we were playing every day. Uh, You didn't have so much time to uh, prepare in between because it was always recovery, basic tactical change. But, yeah, it's been really intense. And from a physical point of view, it's uh, a challenge for me as well uh, to prepare the
0: players. It it sounds really intense. And and, uh, you're fortunate to be able to have a nice little mini break because when I was in Ghana, we couldn't have any break because some players would disappear and never come back. One guy went back to Nigeria for a wedding. I didn't see him again. I was missing a, 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 my new signing central midfielder. So um, hopefully all the players will come back in one piece uh, for, for you guys. So yeah. I, I'm, really like, I'm really eager to get stuck into the, the, the Thailand part now. But first of all, we're going to start with just a, a bit of overview and background into your pathway into
2: coaching for yourself. How did it all start for you, Richard? Um, so I started coaching very young. Um, my first paid coaching role was actually when I was 14. Um, So I was, I don't know, like most kids played football, uh, local teams, center of excellence type things, Um, community. I was always playing football if it was in the summer on like the summer camp type things, various teams. Um, And it was actually my mum who uh, approached one of my coaches I think in Sainsbury's or something like that and said, you know, get." He needs a Saturday job, um, and you know I, I always had that passion. I think to lead or <laughs> or want to coach. And um, this guy, who uh, Ollie, um, he used to play for Spurs and uh, and was an England youth international. So he took me to his. Uh, I th- how would you describe it? That sort of summer school type uh, school programs. You know, for because he worked in a private school. And, you know, I I simply helped him. And before you know it, I was taking groups of uh, sort of primary school kids, you know, the penalty shootouts, the fun tournaments, this type of thing. Um, And from there, you know, I I started to shadow him at academies. So he was working at Crystal Palace, Wickham. And, you know, I followed him here, even at that age, between the age of 14 and and 18. Um, Just looking at his sessions, going through C licenses, B license type, type stuff. Um, and it was a real good insight because he was a very good coach. Uh, he worked at Spurs as an academy coach for many years. Um, and, you know, he was an ex-player, so I suppose it gave me that side of it. You know, very good 11v11 tactically and great at organising the group. And it gave me that first uh, taste of what it's like to be a coach, you know, control the group, organise people, And uh, the communication side, the discipline, and that was my first taste, I suppose, at that age. Well, Um, Richard,
0: if it wasn't for your mum, would you have possibly got into kind of coaching that early? Or, or, you know, you you may have gone into it eventually, but would you have done it that early? Or would it have been a bit later on? Because really, James, last episode, we were talking about opportunities and career pathways. We we haven't thought of getting your your, your mum involved, have
2: we? So, would well, would you have would you have got involved as, as early as that? Do you think? I mean, I think what it is is um, that that song with my mum up. She, you know, nothing's impossible, and you know, you can imagine it. even now. I think what a fourteen year old is. I'm thinking that uh, that's pretty crazy, you know. <laughs> um, so. Yeah, she's like that. She was always like that. So I think it was a case of, you know, you need a Saturday job um, rather than work in a shop or something. I was obsessed with football. Um, I did have the confidence, I think. Like, I always, I like to lead. So yeah. it made sense. Um, I think I would have done it, but maybe not as, as early. Uh, so, um, but yeah, you know, I'd everything to thank for her and, and my dad as well. Like, the the biggest impact probably or influence on, on me. Um, and from there, you know, it was... Not easy, but you know, you're in there and once you're coaching and have a taste of it, you're ready to go to the, the next level, the next challenge.
1: We, um, we all must remember that we have to be thankful to our mums, our dads, uh, our guardians, uh, those people who inspire us and provide role models. Um, they, are, they are the people who spur us on to, to, to be the best that we can be. And Richard, your mom's done a, done a fantastic job for you there. And a uh, big shout out to, to Richard's mum and uh, well done for getting him into the game. And obviously she, uh, she saw the talent from an early age and that's, that's absolutely, uh, absolutely fantastic.
0: But apart 30, from that, 20, 20% of his salary. So she's one of his biggest yeah, well, supporters. <laughs> completely
1: normal and completely OK. So she should.
0: <laughs> so, so Richard, from, from there... I mean, looking at your past experience, so you're a qualified coach. You're also a, a qualified uh, performance analyst and, and analyst, uh, analyst. You've also worked uh, as a lecturer at higher education and further education, uh, specifically for, for Spurs as well. How did you go about doing that? I mean, obviously, you, you had to go to university as well. And then where, where did it kind of go from there? Just in case anyone else was thinking, well, look, he's done a lot. How's he done that?
2: I think um, back to your first question when you said how all this experience led and influenced the role I'm in now. I think the role I'm in now is, is probably my best or the combination of everything on that journey in, in one, you know, that head of performance. Because I like that word performance because it involves everything. Yeah. Um, so after that period of being 18 and that early coaching experience, I naturally chose um, to go to university and study coaching. Um, I was actually playing for Boreham Wood um, when I was 18, and I got I got injured. I just kept getting injured a million times, um, and sort of reserved youth. And I again, I'll be honest, it, it was my mum. Uh, she uh, she obviously looked up. It was the early stages of these coaching degrees, and she. Um, did our research and said, look, this could maybe be an option if you can't play. And I went to USW, it was, it was previously called Glamorgan. Um, and you know, a, a, when I look back now, that's a pivotal, a pivotal moment because it was actually Dave Adams, who's now the FAW director, um, technical director, who was in charge of this course. So I was lucky enough to go here and it was his first year uh, doing the football coaching and performance. So immediately my first experience of let's say education and coaching was at a very high level. Um, And I look at the things we were learning and doing, and this is, you know, 10, 12 years ago and how advanced it was, you know, even now, like, you know and um, so that was a big influence on creating the strength and conditioning, the performance analysis, uh, more structured coaching, more academic, type coaching, Um, but it was a very applied course. So it wasn't just theory. Uh, He gave me a placement at Cardiff city. So was chucked into an academy, able to apply the physical side of things. Um, And yeah, it was a very rounded, applied education into coaching. Um, And that obviously really, I think, took me to another level uh, that sort of three years. Uh, so that was a
0: big a big one for, for for anyone listening thinking right I want to be a coach or I am a coach maybe a level two or, or whatnot I mean to listen to that you've got to be excited about that because as you said and now they're all regularly available coaching courses in university coaching degrees or or performance and coaching uh, degrees and basically this is a huge kickstart for someone's potential career and and you you was fortunate and and you you got your placement with Cardiff City again and and what did what did that bring to the table I mean that must have increased your your practical knowledge no end as well alongside as you said that the course anyway was not only theory based but how was it working around a, a you know a former Premier League club quite early on
2: yeah I mean I think. Um... You can imagine back then it was the early days of these degrees, so there was probably very very few of them. Um, and if I look where their course is now, which is you know much bigger, the facilities, everything that that probably has come from that. And you know Dave Adams was a huge influence on on that. Um, CV wise, as you can imagine, at that young age and that early stage, having Cardiff City on your CV so early, and that experience of seeing the coaches. And, you know, over time I built the relationship with those academy coaches and you do 20 minutes, you do 30 minutes, you do 40 minutes. And, and you know, it's important and that you're with the right people that allow you to do that. I think that that's the same story throughout my career. Um, I've been lucky to be around those types of people who want to, want to let you work and let you experiment. Um, but yeah, being in that environment straight away is a, a huge advantage. Now, after this, did you have in your head that you
0: want to be a coach, you want to be a performance coach, uh, analyst, or was you thinking, no, I just want to be a a pure coach still, and you got them in your back pocket just in case for a rainy day? I mean, what was you thinking at that time, and then how how did the uh, the lecturing role with Spurs come about as well?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think like probably like most of us, you know, you want to be a footballer, then you want to be a coach, and that course it opened you up to many different parts. And I think as the game developed as well and evolved and you know, all these positions that are available now probably didn't exist as much. You know, there might've been one performance analyst or one S C coach. Now obviously there's teams of people. Um, so it just gave you uh, an insight of what you could do. Uh, my first passion on the course was actually into strength and conditioning. Um, i really enjoyed this. And again, I was lucky to have Ian Jeffries, who's like a world-renowned coach. Um, and I got into the the way of making the practices more relevant to develop the physical side. Um, so that was a, an interest for a while. But I think me as a personality, I like the change. I like doing some fitness, some analysis, some coaching. But I always imagined, I think in the end, being on top of all of it and maybe organising the whole operation. I think that was that was always the, the long-term aim. And to get knowledge in each of these parts, I think would always give me an advantage or or set me apart, maybe. So um, to, to go in as a, a lecturer,
0: you obviously need a degree in, uh, in, in what you're yeah. going to talk about or in, in that area of sport, specifically if it is performance or coaching. And... Yeah. Working within a, a club, let's say Spurs, it's almost like uh, having a college inside the club setup.
2: Yeah, I mean, obviously, that academic background with the applied uh, with the applied knowledge and the applied experience as well. Um, I went back to my university and did a masters. Uh, that was a requirement to um, to do to be a lecturer, um, especially with Tottenham. That was one of their requirements. Uh, it was linked with Middlesex University. And again, a a great experience because it was linked with the club, but half of my job, I was based at the the training ground. Um, So not only with the higher education students. So these were students exactly like me. They wanted to be analysts, they wanted to be coaches, they wanted to be strength and conditioning. Um, So all of that past influence came into that. Um, My main subject was performance analysis and mixed with football coaching. Um, So I was mainly focusing on teaching uh, the students how to use data to create more relevant uh, training sessions from technical, physical, uh, all parts. Um, But again, to be put in that environment um, around, especially the under 18s, where I also was a a lecturer for the under 18s, the elite players in their BTEC program. Um, to, to have access to their training, watch people like John McDermott. Um, and, and these coaches was again, a massive uh, massive boost um, from the sports science side because um, I actually run the modules for the fitness testing. And the, so again, you get access to the facilities, access to the people, and it just gives you this all-round, uh, all-round knowledge of the operation, which is, is fantastic. So interesting.
1: Just, uh, f- fascinating, Richard, in terms of listening to how you managed to surround yourself through your own, you know, through your own competency with people who can help you grow and help you develop and the amazing experiences that you would have had in, in that environment. What, what question I'd like to ask is when you were at Tottenham and you had access to the, the players and the coaches and, and That aspect of it and you've got also on the other side you're also lecturing with students who who have those aspirations to 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 get to where you are and and obviously and beyond as well how was uh, the interaction between yourself and up up the scale to the coaches who were coaching the under 18s and the first team and then down towards the not so down but across towards the the people who were also learning to to improve themselves was it was was the interaction how how did you deal with those interactions and how, how did you use them to help develop your own skill set
2: yeah i mean you know firstly obviously that environment was probably the most one of the most intense and professional environments i've been in um the standards the second you walked through the door were on another level um from the way if you had your badge probably the way you walked like everything was was there and I think that as well helped everybody in in good stead we you talk about the interaction um some coaches who even worked in the first team or the under 18s actually did lecture on some of the modules so again there was that crossover which was fantastic for the for the um for the students so we had that interaction um The the under-18s was obviously a very sensitive one because, you know, those are huge assets to the club and their education, as well as the formal education, that informal education, the social side was was massive um, for them. Uh, You can imagine the students loved being around the training ground and them being able to network as well. And many of those students now, they work at Premier League clubs, either at Tottenham within a first-team analyst role or... One, I know one of them's at Wolves, Nottingham Forest. Like, they were able to, I suppose, do what I did with Cardiff City and also use their link with Spurs and their work experience as well um, very well. But, uh, but yeah, that was a very, a very good experience, I think.
1: Yeah, absolutely amazing, Richard. And I'm sure we're going to get onto this, but it must have been very difficult to step away from that. I'll, I'll leave that to matt to to go on
0: <laughs> yeah yeah i mean yeah I, I agree i'm i'm kind of jealous as well i'm sat here thinking actually yeah i i should have done this it sounds awesome and uh so the the club you was with uh Stevenage before heading over to, to thailand and and uh with stevenich was working within the professional development phase is that where everything kind of was brought together for you and, and set you up nicely for them moving into senior football. And, you know, how did you find it working again in a different environment, but now uh, kind of yet yeah, not a strange role because, uh, you know, you, you, you've done it before, but professional development phase, different club and, you know, you, you're pushing on closer to players then getting into the senior team. And how, how was the difference for you and how did you have to adapt, if, if at all?
2: Yeah, I mean, um, again, completely different context. Uh, When I obviously left Spurs, it was actually because I I had made that big decision that I believed I belonged in the elite environment, in a first-team environment, you know, possibly 18s, 23s, where elite development results are more important. Um, And that's what I wanted to be, Um, rather than not trapped, i use the word trapped, but not just in education where it actually felt like I was developing uh, everybody else <laughs> um, to go. And I, I sat there looking at my students thinking, okay, you're working with this first team, you're working with this. <laughs> I was like, okay, what am I doing? I'm giving you all the, <laughs> the knowledge um, or part of it and, and the pathway and how to do their CV, like even down to that detail. Um, so-
0: That's probably I, you know, a
2: little bit like uh, when
0: you get Uh, coach educators and they're coaching uh, coaches who then go on to get a national team job or a professional club. They're sat there, they're still just a coach educator and they're thinking, yeah, I wouldn't mind a bit of that. I've just got them ready and now they're working in in
2: the championship or something. Exactly. And that that was what was happening. Um, So uh, it felt like a a strange feeling because I still enjoy now. I still enjoy now the education side and even here... I'm doing that indirectly with some people. And it's, uh, I think you want to push people who have dreams and and it's the same with players, isn't it? I suppose. Um, one gap actually we didn't mention, but there was a gap in my sort of, I actually was out of football for a few years and worked in professional futsal. And this um, in Croatia. And this was a big influence on me in terms of the elite side because this was let's say a top european team we competed in uefa cups with some top international players and and this actually gave me a big um i suppose development tool for working with elite international top uh, players obviously a different sport but quite similar um and and that you know that taste of the high pressure the crowds and those things are that's where I felt I, I belonged, I suppose. And after the education side, it was like I need to I need to go back to that in, in a football context. That,
0: that's a wide, diverse spectrum of different skills and experiences you, you collected there. And I, I guess, you know, although not an apprenticeship, before moving into a, a senior professional club, you know, there's not much better apprenticeships and experience you you could have picked up in in respect to all that uh, diverse knowledge.
2: And apologies for not answering your Stevenage question. Um, So uh, obviously I was at Stevenage. um, So after that Spurs experience, I decided, okay, um, going to a club, but more in a coaching or analyst role where I'm involved with the players and the coaches directly. Um, So there was able to, again, got quite lucky really, worked directly with Alex Ravel, who's now the first team coach. Um, still had a bit of access to like, people like Mark Sampson and, and these guys um, so I was only there a short time because of the Thailand opportunity so I, I did plan to stay at Stevenage and was enjoying it You're on your way to Thailand how did that happen? Um, so I have a friend in Thailand who um, is a national team player uh, who ironically uh, went to my university in Glamorgan uh, so Very useful all... if you can get it Very useful <laughs> Yeah, all links together so he um we met at university what 12 13 years ago um and he was half welsh half thai um and he'd been released from cardiff city and after i think two or three years of our university he found himself playing for the biggest club in thailand uh and then being promoted to national team and effectively became a, a national superstar basically um And, you know, we kept in contact all these years, joked about me going to Thailand. But as his career's gone on, I think it was always going to happen in some context. Um, He got married last year, so I was going to go to the wedding. And I think a month before that, um, I don't know, a contact he had, a director at one club. uh, He said, oh, there's an opportunity. It's a very specific project and they need a specific type of person who you know, we'll build something from scratch, multiple skill set, and it, it just happened very quickly like that. Um, <laughs> that's that was... that's <laughs> James,
0: James, get you back to university. Ask <laughs> around everyone in your lectures and class, are, are you uh, a professional player, by any chance, of another country we don't <laughs> want to go to? <laughs> I'll
1: tell you what, that's that's something we didn't include in the last part. Yeah, Networking. <laughs> No, know, know, know the people around you. There's always going to be... And be friendly to everyone. Yes. And figure out, um, figure out uh, obviously, who the people are, who are worth having around you. So, yeah, what a good story. it is. Um, it happens to be that it was somebody who, who you knew very well.
0: Yeah. How, Richard, how, how did you find uh, getting there and settling in uh, the, the environment? I, I've been to Thailand, uh, obviously living in Asia, and, you know, it, it can be a, a testing environment. Uh, It may take people uh, a while to settle, other people may just get straight into it. How's your your work environment for you and and for what you need to produce?
2: Yeah, I mean, um, obviously arriving, I've never been to Asia before um, at all. Most of my coaching experience or even travel was Europe. And I think the furthest I got was probably Middle East or America. Um, So yeah, coming here, completely different, had no idea what to expect, you know, even though my friend was here and we would speak, you, you don't know, do you, until you get off the plane, feel the weather, taste the food, all these things. Um, so, yeah, uh, it was a, a big change. Um, obviously, wherever you go, football tends to be big. Um, and very quickly, I've always found when I go to different countries and jobs, you you slowly get wrapped up in the leagues, the teams, the players, and... For example, now, you know, my knowledge of even the Premier League goes down because you're so focused on where you are. Yes. Um, So, you know, the biggest thing I found straight away was I felt like I could offer a lot. I I think that um, obviously it wasn't as advanced as, you know, places like Tottenham and and Stevenage and these places. Um, But I felt like there was a big opportunity for me to put a stamp and use all this experience and, have those ideas maybe I I'd developed at each club to be like okay now I'm the head of performance this is what we're going to do um, and that was that's probably my favorite um, element of this role and, and this job and being in Asia I think so the the club itself um, and yeah. you're currently
0: in there is it the third tier uh, yeah third okay. tier. division three third tier you're currently fourth place and uh, as you touched on the uh, kind of after the intro, the start of, the, of this episode, and now the league's been split up into different zones or, or different sections. J- just give us a little bit of insight into that and how you've been dealing with it and, and what differences uh, of, of a normal format there is.
2: Yeah, so when I arrived, obviously, we did start the season. So if we said pre-COVID, uh, the league was completely different. So we had, obviously, the Thai Premier League, the Championship, and we were League, let's say League One equivalent, um, and it was a national league. So we would travel everywhere um, okay. and it would be similar to the English system. Um, but now, if you, I mean, when I think now, it's, it's crazy. Um, <laughs> they basically took, it's almost like taking League One, League Two, and the conference, <laughs> putting everybody together. Um, so there's about 86 teams, I think, something like this, I think six to eight divisions and they've regionalized it. So obviously the travel costs and things like that are, are easier, which I think, you know, it's a good solution. Um, But now, you know, uh, promotion, things like that, it's a big task. I mean, you have to come in the top two of your zone. Then all of those teams will go into another league um, and have to play each other again. And then there will be like a playoff, semi-final, final uh, type thing. So. What's actually happened is, again, if you imagine a, a conference team even or a League 2 team, and all of a sudden they could get promoted to the championship. So some owners have been like, OK, we'll invest in a new team, yeah. new coach, yeah. new facilities, and you know they have a chance. So there's actually a lot of big players now playing in this division to try and get them out of this because it's so competitive. Um, it's thrown everything upon its head it's crazy well not so crazy
0: as we know Asia but yeah it could sound crazy
1: (laughs) Yeah, I think it's um, we we talk about obviously there's been a lot of difficult times through Covid and things have not gone well but this might be something that we can take as, as coming good out of the Thai league so giving that opportunity for clubs who might not have had the chance and in terms of reducing travel times and costs and making it that know, changing the structure, it might work out to be, to be a good thing. that's um, us come out of it. What I would like to ask in terms of where were Bangkok FC in this pyramid before the new restructuring? And yeah. has it provided the opportunity for you guys to you know, get on up there and hopefully enter yeah. Thai League 2?
2: I mean, with um, obviously pre-COVID, we'd actually started the season really well and won two games out of two. We're, we're top. Um, obviously it was early days um but i would say you know at that time i was probably still unaware of the level if i'm honest because we hadn't played too many teams the travel you know it would have been a big a big player uh, our first game we went to a place called crabby which was i'll just say a long way away um and uh you know that was a really, really tough on the players and we won 2-1 and We were just, it was the first game of the season and we were just sort of dead on the floor. (laughs) Um, So so, uh, so that's when it was a a big division three.
0: It was still just division three.
2: Yeah. So we had that structure there and I suppose we were hoping and as the league developed that we would stay up and around. Um, Naturally, I think this structure for the bigger clubs and I would regard Bangkok FC as a a bigger club because we had been in the higher divisions before. The fan base is big. The name is huge Um, in Thailand. uh, You always see by the followers and things like that as well. Um, It it probably wasn't good for the the big clubs because obviously having one league and two or three promoted in in a normal structure would suit the bigger clubs. But now, like I said, you get smaller clubs or clubs you might not even know about who are coming from nowhere uh, with strong squads, with a chance, you know, and uh, yeah i 'm not sure it, in terms of winning, it, it just makes it difficult for everybody I think because've no, um, sure. so for many sure. matches and so many factors that will influence um, so, now
0: yeah. th- <laughs> absolutely it's it's been really really uh, all all muddled up and and it's opened it up for uh, a lot more many a lot more many clubs, a little bit like the Premier League, I guess at least. Yeah. For now. Uh, now there's sometimes some uh, misconceptions about the standard and level of, of Asian football and mainly by those who don't know much about it or who've never seen it or they saw a bit and just thought it's a really low standard but however countries such as Vietnam, Thailand, uh, Indonesia, um, China give or take a few areas you know the level is not bad quite decent you got some strong players, strong teams, and especially international level, you know, you get some really, really tough games, really tough teams. So what was your first impression of, of when you actually got to know the players? Well, the first impression when you first saw them, but then was did it change slightly as you got to know them more or straight away did you have a, a first impression and, and that's how it
2: stayed? Yeah, I mean, I think... Um... I think anyone coming from the UK, especially, uh, even when you go to other countries, it's very physical in the UK. Um, You know, size, speed, strength, you know, it's there. And we have, I think, that reputation wherever we go. Um, So that was obviously a first thing. I think, obviously, uh, the physicality of the players and the culture's different as well. I think we do value the physical side in in England and across all football, it's there. Um, and here, uh, they do value more maybe the skill or the, the fun element. I think culturally, they do like the fun element of that and they want more entertaining type uh, skills or, or actions. Um, so I noticed that uh, they, they do have a strong futsal background here. So I'm, I'm always interested in that. And you do see that, I think, in, in some players. Naturally, as you know, the weather can have a a massive effect on a, on a style of play. Um, so naturally it was a bit slower in terms of um, maybe the way people defend. Uh, it's very difficult to press. We, we've actually been quite different, really, the, the coach I'm with now. And we've gone against that mould and we press quite a lot. And uh, I've worked on that and my sort of physical element and the way we've trained has been quite different, I think, to what they're, they're used to here. Um, And, you know, we've been okay so far. So this is again that point we had earlier about this particular project and they want to do it differently at the club. So we've really tried to go against the the grain of the norm. And that's been very exciting for us as coaches, I think.
0: that that's really, really interesting because it's similar uh, in in China in the hotter uh, seasons uh, but certainly in Taiwan without going too deep into, into tactics, but when, like you said, they seem to have more time on the ball because not everyone can maintain the pressing. So in, in Taiwan before, we played a friendly, uh, my club with uh, our national team, yeah, they played a few under 23s and everything, but you know, our lads had, had some foreigners in and the way we trained and the way we played, we basically pressed when we could in, in different stages or depending on the ball positioning. And even the national team players, for homegrown national team players, couldn't handle it. They're like, "Whoa, you're not meant to come this close to me!" You know, it was quite intense for them. And uh, yeah. you know, if you do bring that surprise on a lot of teens, they can't. They don't really know what to do. They they don't expect it, but they've not been used to it for a while. And like I said, weather is a huge, huge, massive factor uh, in not only training uh, especially for someone in, in the role that you're in but the, the players and how the, the the game goes as well James how, how how do you how do you see it in, in your area as well in, in Vietnam especially as you're working with uh, uh, senior players as well uh,
1: I think in Vietnam and in Bangladesh, it's it's about what the players are are ready for and if you train them and you prepare them and condition them for, for a pressing game it's definitely possible to implement um, there will be limitations in that depending on what time of day the fixture is if it's a night game a day game it's really important to take into account um, yeah and yes it isn't specifically something that is has been ingrained in the in the football philosophy in either country where i where i've worked so it is uh, like you, you're pulling new, new tricks out of the hat and by in- enforcing a, a pressing game or, a pre- or pressing traps or pressing in, in certain areas, you are, you, you've already got an advantage because you're forcing people to do, forcing players and teams to, to be uncomfortable. So, yeah, it's definitely an advantage yeah. if you can do it. Discomfort. Yeah, what you have to do is what's really not difficult as long as, you know, you, you can get the players on board. You've got to get the players on board with doing it. So, so if they've never done it before and you're coming in and saying, look, lads, we're going to go out here, we're going to train, we're going to condition ourselves so we can press at least for 60, 70 minutes and then we'll pull you off. Uh, you know, the old pros might not be in for that. and You might find yourself in a difficult scenario. James, that's a
0: great point and a, a, a nice one to go into Richard with. How have you gone about getting the players on board, especially maybe some of the more experienced Thai players, if you have any there, or did you just get rid of them? Because some of them are setting in their ways, they're very influ- influential in, in Asia, and you tend to, you know, they're very stubborn sometimes, not all, but some can be. So have you had to implement anything to bring everyone together or buy into, uh, you know, the, the the new way of playing?
2: Yeah, I think that's a really fair question as well. Yeah. Um... As I'd arrived and you can imagine yourself as well you get various advice and um, information about culture about players you usually get warned about certain things and or things to be aware of you know um, and we, I suppose again where we've been different is we recruited a lot of young players so our squad is very young um, and for sure in Thailand definitely young and um, where you know the older players like you said are very well respected culturally and, and on the field. Um, so to have those players where you could mould them from, from nothing. Um, but I think everywhere you go, what I've found, various countries, if you've got the knowledge, if you back it up and you can answer questions, I think, and you know what you're talking about, I think they buy into it. Um, and it's the same with the coach. You know, tactically, he's he's got great knowledge. And when he wants to play in a certain way or even a more experienced player to do something slightly different, press in a different way. I think if he can back it up and give the reasons why and answer those fears, then, and as you know as well, if you get the results, then it, it helps, you know. Um, if you lose quite a few games, things can turn very quickly here. So um, if you get that that start and if you believe in it, I think it, it, it does work Um and, you know, as you know, as well, like if you can have certain key players on your side um, who believe in it. And we have a few of those experienced players who, who do train very well and they want to learn. And, and that does filter down to the, the younger guys. For sure. For sure.
1: I think it's just that's, uh, that, that's a really important point about being able to mould the players. And if you get, you know, recruitment's everything. Uh, it doesn't matter how how good a coach are, how good a coach you are. If you you do your work and get the right people in, you know a a, a bad coach with good players is going to do okay. A good coach with bad players hasn't got a chance. A good coach with good players, now you're talking, um, and that's really 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 important. So yeah, I think it's it's really interesting and it sounds like you've got a, a good blend of both there, Richard. So. Looks like you're in good shape and uh, long may that continue
0: yeah absolutely absolutely and uh, j- just before we we finish here I'm, I'm 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 really interested I'm sure everyone who's listening is is interested as well just run over you know a couple of days in the life in your role at the moment what well, what does Richard Horlock do I know you've got a lot of responsibilities I'm guessing but just to give everyone a bit of taste of know how it goes from what time you have to leave the house to get to training how far it is etc and then what what duties you do within the day as well
2: yeah i mean i think so we train um let's say out of the center of bangkok is probably 45 minutes um so i suppose you have the choice to live near the live near the ground or or in the city i chose to live in the city um i've liked everywhere i've traveled or lived i've liked to be near a city and I don't like quiet too much. I like noise, I think, and um, you know, if I want to eat or switch off, I find it quite good to to be away from that. Um, I would say pre-season is completely different to uh, during the season. Um, the pre-season, I don't think I really slept. Um, it was literally round the clock, and you know, the coach I'm working with as well, he's he's relentless, so. We, um, and obviously the physical side is massive during that point and the way we wanted to play, the way we wanted to prepare, it was gonna take a lot of work, a lot of analysis. And, you know, we back up everything we do as well. So with the directors and the owners, we create as much data as possible, as much evidence. So everything we're doing, they understand why um, and show that it's working, I think. Like the evidence from the matches, even the friendlies. So day to day in the pre-season, it was was just always, I would go in quite early, um, you know, nine, probably nine, 10 o'clock we'd be there um, and just work together all through analysis, planning sessions. Um, I would have an overall structure uh, in terms of physically what we need to do. Um, We've had GPS at at some points, so I'd have that stuff to do as well. you know, we, we do quite a lot. And after COVID, as you guys have probably seen, you know, staff's been reduced at, at certain clubs. And we have found ourselves doing two or three roles. <laughs> I mean, that, that's really how I became the assistant because I um, wanted reduced staff. And it, again, it was just that skill set and i get on well with the coach. So it sort of made sense. Um, now it, it, it's better. Um, I think we... Like I said, there's a lot of matches and then it's just more about players recovering and we have sessions which change quite a lot based on the tactics of the last game and the next game. Um, so it's just correction, correction, correction. So I have got more time, I think, to go in later, um, do more things at home. Uh, I I've Now I've adapted, I'd say, and got into the street food type 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 of life. At the start, I was still very European probably yeah. and eating my normal stuff and slowly blending in. I'm, I'm pretty sure the uh, the lady who cooks at the training ground has slowly made my food more spicy and I haven't really uh, noticed, you know, <laughs> noticed, you know, gradually. And um, now I'm eating things, you know, people say it's, uh, oh, it's really spicy. I'm like, is it?
0: Sneaking it in the pad thai, a bit
2: of extra chili. <laughs> But I think I'm lucky because obviously I have my friend here. So I've been able to meet him and uh and his wife and um and his friendship group, various, you know, it's all football players or coaches or so it's it's football, 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 really. Um even off the pitch is it's interesting as well, hear what's going on at different teams. Uh my friend's a very dedicated player, so he's always doing some sort of recovery sauna, hot and cold. So I'll go and sit there with him, and we'll sort of talk about our teams and various issues and players and, and these things. So it's uh, it's good. It's nice to see him as well, because you know for twelve years it was just WhatsApp, um, and the odd visit. So it's uh, that that's been really good. That's been hey, really good. so so happy for you. It sounds like you're you're in a
0: you know Touchwood. You're in a good good position. Life's good you're enjoying your work, you're working hard, but I feel like, you know, you, you've shared uh, basically your, your whole story, how it how it built and developed to the point where you are now. And I, I found it really, really interesting, really inspirational and, and motivating as well. And uh, yeah, absolutely loved it. J- James, anything before we, we switch off, mate?
1: No, absolutely fantastic, Richard. Great to um, catch up with you. And I hope the season continues in the, in the same way and you get great success. And yeah, I think there's more bright things in your future and, um, good luck with the spice. And, uh, by the time you, by the time the season's out, I'm sure you'll be on five extra chilies.
2: Yeah. <laughs> no, I appreciate it guys. Um, appreciate your time. It's uh, been really good to share it. And, uh, my mom will be happy as well because she always said, uh, she must be the first one that's mentioned so
1: yeah well done
2: mom what's your mum's name richard uh rose
1: rose Rose horlock big shout out to rose horlock
2: the founder
0: yeah (laughs) (laughs) thank you gents